Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. All right, amen. Welcome to the Door Church. If you're new here, my name is Scott Brooks. I'm the lead Pastor on the teaching team, so grateful that you're here this morning. Uh, we're in the sermon series, Counterculture, and so all we're doing is looking at uh, really different topics in culture and say, what does the Bible say about that? Because there's lots of uh, narratives, I would say, that want to conform your mind to really worldly thinking. What we want is to have a transformed mind uh, by the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit to think biblically. So we want a, a worldview that is lens through scripture. So that's why we're doing this. We're looking at different, just hot topics, very debated and say, okay, the word actually speaks on those and calls us uh, to live differently. And so that's by the word of God and the spirit of God that we want to be Jesus people. You can't put us in a box, right? Because we belong to Jesus by the spirit of God. And we want to think uh, biblically as we encounter these different issues. So counterculture, that's what we want to be uh, as, as the church, to be different. Uh, under the Word of God and the Spirit of God. The sermon title this morning is Word and Deed. We'll be in ver- uh, 1 John 3, 11 and 18. So if you have your Bible, grab it. 1 John chapter 3, 11 through 18, sermon title, Word and Deed. So just to, uh, what ca- what's countercultural that we'll be looking at is there's two different um, ideologies that usually a church fall into. Uh, and it's either, man, they're all about the Word of God, truth, exalting, uh, the, the word or uh, deed. It's about action and loving and kindness and being a doing people. Uh, and that, that's deed. So if you listen to the title, it's word and deed. Uh, but these two people groups are usually pitted against each other and they don't like each other. They think they're on uh, totally different uh, planets and there shouldn't be that division according to scripture. So word people uh, are, are churches that go to, man, they have a high view of God's word, which we do. Uh, we use the very word of God. I'm like, like super excited uh, for this sermon. Know why? Because it's from the word of God. And hopefully you don't come here just to hear a talking head. This is like the word of God and by the spirit of God, you'd be changed by it. So we believe in the power of the word of God. And as we preach the word of God, it's going to exalt Christ. And so uh, you are all sinners. You're going to find out more throughout the, the sermon, and so am I. And I need Jesus. I need a Savior. And we, I, want to, I want to preach Christ. And you personally have to believe in Jesus. So individually, like I can't make my kids be a Christian just because they're born to me. They're not Christian. They have to have personal faith in Jesus Christ to become Christian. And so do you. So it's personalized. It's individual. You got to put your faith in Jesus Christ. What I get nervous about, if it's just like, hey, here's the word of God, you say a prayer and you go do, do what you want with your life. That's not biblical. Uh, as you come to Christ, it transforms you uh, in every single way. This is not just information to ascribe to or simply to profess. This is transformation by the spirit of God in the person of Jesus Christ. So uh, what happens sometimes, there's a, a, a um, when it's just all word and no action, so to speak, there's a shriveled uh, I would say gospel is shriveled people. And what I mean by that, what I didn't just say as we're word people, it's just not me and Jesus. Like uh, when you're saved by faith in Christ alone, uh, by faith alone, you're saved personally, but into a community. Like we need one another. It's not you and Jesus theology. So I think a lot of people uh, that hear that have a really me-focused theology. And that's not biblical. Like 
We have a Jesus-centered theology. It's actually not about you, it's for you. It's not just me and Jesus, I go do what I want. That's not biblical. So it's not say a prayer, you got some fire insurance on the day you die, it's like, hey, you know what? Good news, I got that, I'm good. So I think a lot of people confuse Christianity. I say a prayer and I get to go do what I want in my life. <laughs> that's, not, that's not biblical, that's not what God calls us to in Christ. He actually changes you from the inside out by the Spirit of God. You become what? A new creation is what scripture said. So it's just not just information that we're going for, it's transformation. Uh, there's a lot of people that, that are just, they gotta go to a church, they hear and leave, uh, that is just kind of atrophy. What, what I get nervous is you come to Jesus because you just want a better life. That's not biblical either. If that's what you think, you're gonna be very frustrated because you're, you're gonna come to Christ and you're still gonna have problems, circumstances still be hard. Uh, this is not Christian karma, right? Come to Jesus and man, if I do enough good things, God will see and he'll just bless my life. That's not what we're talking about here. But there's a individual, uh, just me and Jesus theology that I get nervous about. And the other end is just a D people. They try to, man, the, the word of God is not important. We just got to be people of love and doing, uh, man, people of action and, and just serving others. And, you know, we certainly are other people focused. Right, so part, first part of our DNA, DNA is we're gospel centered, we're Jesus centered, and we're other, other people focused. Um, so there's a people that wanna kind of cut off Jesus, the centrality of man com, you know, confessing sin and personal faith in Jesus Christ. Like, man, really, we just need to focus on being the hands and feet of Jesus. We need to love people. And, and I'd say yes and amen, but again, that, that, that is really not a biblical idea away from Christ, and here's, here's why. It's still just a me theology. Like, and what I mean by that, if you're serving not for the glory of Christ. You know who you're serving for? The glory of yourself. And, and so uh, Jesus drives us uh, to, to service and be part, uh, people of deed. I, I, I'm proof of this because when I became a Christian, I, I put my faith in Jesus, born again. You know, you're still, you know, growing as a Christian continually to the day you die. I remember I started working for Bridge Builders, which is a inner city community. And it's this community that, or this ministry that would go into really the inner city, Bonton and some other places. And they'd be the church uh, within that community. So uh, we'd share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We did GED programs, training, stuff like that. Well, one, one day in uh, you know, summer from college, I was driving down on a Friday night and uh, I was thinking to myself, self, how awesome am I? In college, like everyone else is going to party, you know, go hang out with a girlfriend, boyfriend, doing all kinds of different things, but not me. I'm going to serve the least of these. I wish more people were like me. Now, I didn't say that out loud. This is self-talk. Now, who am I serving at that point? Am I serving Jesus? No, I'm serving me. It, the, serving the poor was not about the poor or bringing the gospel to them. It was simply about feeling better about myself. And there's a real self-righteousness in both camps, right? When it's just all word people, it's like, ah, oh, it's just, I just need to be better, better behavior. It doesn't matter about my action. Man, that's just about you and you think you're better in the world. And the deed people think that they're better than the people that love Jesus and about the word of God. It's like, man, at least I act on it. And so there's this self-righteousness in both camps. And what the, what the word of God does, what scripture does, it's, it is dogmatic and stubbornly going to bring you, you need Jesus. And when you meet Jesus, you're gonna love people. They, you can't divorce the two from each other. It's not either or, it's both and. And we will not be a church, Lord willing, that takes sides on either camp. We have to let the spirit of God, man, allow us to be loved by Jesus Christ to motivate us to action, to be 
doers of the word. So word and deed, and that's the sermon titled. Another way you can say it, and it's biblically speaking, is we will be people of deed if we're people of the word. If we're really allowed the word of God to minister to our heart, it will be the catalyst uh, for, for loving action. So uh, that's what we'll be looking at this morning. This, so I picked 1 John 3, 11, 18, the reason why is so we can just preach the text. Um, I don't like preaching scripture all the way because it kind of gets disjointed and you can make it say what you want. So we're just gonna look at 1 John 3, 11, 18. It's just gonna spell it out biblically. There are so many other texts that preach and teach the same thing. Uh, so I had trouble, I had trouble even picking a, a, a text because there's so many. Isaiah 58, James 2, Matthew 25. So this is not an isolated text that I'm speaking on. Uh, and it's important to, to recognize that because this is a biblical approach to Christ's word and deed. All right, so verse 11, we'll read it in chapter three. For this message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. So John is writing the church and he's saying, what's the message that you heard from the beginning? What's the primary message of the church? That we would what? Love one another. So is this a new message? No, this is the message from the beginning that we should be people of love towards what's one another. So this is not new. This is what the church should be known for. Love for one another. So as the disciples went away from Jesus and they're concerned about how are they gonna know that we're your disciples? What'd they say? What'd Jesus say? They'll know you by your what? Love. We are supposed to be a people of love. This is not a new message. It's not a new message to the church. It's not a new message. It should be a new message to us. The church should be a people of love, particularly towards other people. Now, verse 12 is gonna give us an example, a biblical an example of the opposite of love and really try to help us understand the motivation behind our actions. We gotta understand the mo motivation, not the behavior. Because I just told, I was serving the least of these and who was I serving? Me. So we don't wanna be in that camp. It's not about doing, it's about your heart motivation. And it speaks to your heart in verse 12. It says this, and we should, uh, and, and we should not be like Cain, if you don't know your Bible, Cain, Cain and Abel were the, 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 first, the first people Adam and Eve had as children. So Cain, who was of the evil one. So Cain was of the evil one. You know what that is? That's Satan. So he's team Satan, not, not living well, uh, and uh, evil one, and murdered Cain. So Cain, uh, Cain killed, I'm sorry, uh, evil one and murdered his brother, which was Abel. And listen, why, why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil. So he had, he had deeds, he, he was doing action, but his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Now, if you don't know your Bible, in Genesis 4, uh, Cain and Abel both brought sacrifices to Jesus. And this, this story's always bothered me. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's always bothered me a little bit because why? They both bought sacrifices. It's not like uh, when Cain killed Abel. It's like Cain, it's not Cain didn't bring something. He brought something too. So they both brought sacrifice, but one God, one God found acceptable and the other one didn't. And eventually uh, Cain got frustrated and, and he killed his brother. Now, here's why. So again, this is, I don't want to overstate this. They both gave. It's not one gave and one didn't. So I think a lot of people say, oh, the good people give and the bad people don't. That's not what just happened. They both gave as the motivation of their heart. One was wicked and unrighteous and evil and one was righteous. So you can be doing similar things, actually the same thing, and be doing it uh, righteously or evilly. So what's the heart motivation under that? So 
if, we, if you look at that story, Cain brought a sacrifice, but it wasn't, uh, you know, Abel brought the, the firstborn, the first fruit, which indicates this evilness, this wickedness. He, he brought it, but it was out of a heart of mine. He came to God and is like, all this is mine. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna tip you. I don't wanna have a generous heart. I have a generous heart for self and holding on. And so he's like, man, I'll, I'll, God, I'll give you a little bit, but really it's mine. Now, when Abel, which is righteous, he came open-handed saying, God, this is all yours. And he showed that by saying, man, I'm gonna give you my best, saying all of it's yours. So it's open-handed. And so another way you can look at, when you read wicked, in righteous in scripture, most time it's not talking about a behavior. It's a talking about your heart motivation. So yes, murdering is evil, but before that, his deeds were evil. So what is it talking about when you read about it? Wickedness is evil. It's just thinking about yourself above other people. Now, what's interesting, this is what we do by our sin nature. We, our default mode is we love us some us so you could be doing right things for you, which is wicked. Now, uh, <laughs> we look at the world, and we just, we, like I said, we have a generous eye for self. This is wicked. We look at it as like, what can I get? What's mine? And what we do is we look at other people strategically. Now, some are more aggressive and some more passive aggressive, but we know what we want. We, our heart wants what it wants, and so we will develop relationships for those who can benefit, only benefit us. We'll look at things that prop us up. So we're always looking not with the love of others. What are we looking at it? The lens of self-love. We're looking through the lens, which is wicked, is simply selfish and greed. So it's an interesting idea when you think what is wicked, what is evil, when you don't think it's actually about action. It's about why you're doing, why do you have that relationship? Why do you do those things? Why do you say what you say? Why was I going to serve the poor? It was about my ego and my pride and my, and, and my, and my self-righteousness. Um, so, and, and the righteousness is actually having a generous eye for others. This is the heart of God, that God blesses, God blesses you over and over in scripture. He blesses you, why? To be a blessing. He, he will give you things so you can steward it because it's not yours to be a blessing to other people, it, allowing your life to flow uh, to really to glorify Christ, to be, a, to be a giver, not a taker. Now, verse 13 says this, do not be surprised, brothers, if we live this way, that the world will hate you. The world hates you. So the world is allergic, <laughs> one, to God in his ways. So we're supposed to live not according to culture, but counterculture. See, the way the world views it is, man, yeah, this is yours. You do what you want. You live your life. Don't worry about other people. This is not a biblical idea, but evil. And furthermore, uh, don't be surprised if the world hates you. If you live this way, you will be canceled. Right? We get in this cancel culture. You know what canceling is? It's simply murdering someone with your heart. Like, you don't want to hear them anymore. You're, you're, you're just cutting them out, right? That, that's, that's wicked. Now, what this is telling us is that we all have this wicked tendency to think of ourselves. This is, this is our nature and it's the air we breathe to say everything's about us. This is what we think. Now, what's interesting, we know this is true. So if I could evaluate apart from the spirit of God, like the spirit of God can't intervene and, and, and 
and change our mind, change our heart, and we can do good things to glorify God and the good of other peoples. But apart from the Spirit of God, I have never done anything for anyone besides myself. And that's just the truth. You know who I think about most times when I wake up? It's not you, all right? I'm just I'm on the line. You may be judging me, but that's you too. You're thinking about you strategically how your life can go better. That's all, that's we're consumed with what? Self. Now, what's interesting, we're, this is by nature, my kids' first words were mom. I see y'all, it was. I try to sabotage that, say dad all the time. It, it was mommy because they love her, uh, you know, probably because she, she served them better than I did. But mommy was the first word. Pretty shortly after, it was mine. It was just, what's mine? Now, I, mom, mom and dad, we don't go walk around our house saying mine, mine. That's not our words. But somehow they developed that very quickly, very intuitively. We didn't teach that. Now, as you roll that out, you look at a kid and you're like, really, that's yours? You think that's yours? What did you do to that, right? How'd you get that? Is it really yours? And I'm sure that's how God looks at us all the time. It's like, oh, you really think that's yours? Like, you think you really earned that? So we had this mindset that it's mine. It's about us. This is the culture we live in. We want to be counterculture. We want to be Jesus people. Like we're stewards of God's stuff. We don't deserve it. So here's some just language that you hear that speaks to the culture and to nature, which is wicked. It calls it wicked. Um, some, some sayings, you better get yours. You ever heard that, right? Because if you don't get yours, what's that happening? You'd be left out. You've also heard you better look out for numero what? Uno, right? I'm number one. If I'm not looking out for me, no one else is looking out. It's a dog-eat-dog world, right? If I don't get mine, I'm gonna be left short. So we're taught early on by nature and just words, right? Um, one of my friends in college, I've always thought, if you ever listen to this, they thought he maybe think it's interesting. He always signed off his emails, IDWIW. I do what I want. Always says, man, this world revolves around me. I'm gonna do what I think's best for myself, which is wicked, which we all do. Now, I remember getting in that, uh, I was president of that uh, social club and he was an officer too. And I remember planning like, hey, we gotta do this and this and we gotta work for this to serve uh, these guys. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not doing anything for anyone else. The only reason I became an officer is just for a position. It's for, only for name. I'm, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is gonna be a long semester. But that's how we think. We think it all revolves around us. One of my least favorite sayings, and you'll actually see, I can't hide my emotions. You talk to me and I disagree with you. You're, I'm gonna, it'll be on my face and I'm sorry. But one thing that I'm like allergic to when say, you deserve that. I'm like, okay, you think you deserve that. If you wanna get into what we deserve, I mean, we deserve the wrath of God. We deserve uh, nothing good. We deserve hell. Like what we get is grace. You don't talk about what we deserve. And you just like, what that usually means is you want some me time. You think you need, you know, your stuff when you want. And who are you thinking about? It's just you again. It gets back to that wicked nature we think it's about us. So the driving point of really uh, 11 through uh, 13 to this section is wickedness is really just thinking about yourself. Righteousness is considering other people more important than yourself. And so when you consider yourself above others, and you're not generous towards other. You're not just being stingy according to the word of God. You're being unjust and evil. See, that's different. See, that's countercultural. See, we don't think that. We think it's just, yeah, man, we're just thinking about ourselves. It's wicked and evil. Now, we'll, we'll look at verses 14 and 15. It says, 
we know that we have passed out of death and into life. So how do we know that we're a Christian? How do we know we've been born of God? So death, we're dead in our trespasses. How do we know we're made alive in God by the spirit of God? It talks about being born again. How do we know we've been born of God? It says from death uh, to, to, to life. It says, because we love our brothers, whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So here's what's being said. The grand symptom of being saved, the grand symptom to be marked as a Christian is what? That you love your brother. And then that interesting? It didn't say that you have to love your brother to be saved. That's not what the Bible teaches. It didn't say go do these works and then you'll be saved. What's saying if you are born again, that you have experienced the salvation of God, the proof of life, the sign that you have been brought from death to life is that you will start to love other people how God's loved you. That's an indicator that you've been born again. Now why? Because people are born of God start to love like God. Now, what I didn't just say, again, is you got to, to love people to be saved. What I'm saying is if you understand what God's done for you, you'll start to show his love through you. Um, James 2 says it says the same way. It says, if you say you have faith, but not works, what is it? Your faith is what? It's dead. That's not real faith, right? Saving faith, not as a profession of faith, it's a possession of the spirit of God that changes you from the inside out, that you actually start to love by God and you will have works. Why? Because God is working in your heart. That is what's being taught here. That, that the work of Christ will work in your heart and it'll change the way that you view your life. It says this um, in Philippians 2 and 4 and 5. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. That's natural. We don't have any problem with that. That's what we do by default. But also look to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. When you operate by the mind of our Lord Jesus Christ, what do you do? You consider other people. That's the mind of Christ. That's the spirit of God working in you. So right now, right now, I know some of you are like, man, you preach it, Scott. We need to be people of action. We need to love our brother. Like, we need to be more love-oriented people. Now, I'm going to probably offend you greatly because the driver, the heartbeat of, of loving your brother is experiencing the true love of Jesus Christ. See, you need a heart transplant I need a heart transplant to actually love this way. It talks about Ezekiel. It takes out your heart of stone, which is about you. It's dead. And what does it do? It gives you a heart of flesh. It's a different heartbeat that drives you to live differently. And you will not love people how God's loved you until you have this heart transplant motivated by the love of God and the spirit of God. It's impossible. You'll do it either A, self-righteously, which you think you're better than other people, which is not the heart of God. And number two, it'll be a flash in the pan that has no substance to actually staying. It has to be motivated by the love of God and Jesus Christ for you in a particular way. It says this so much in verse 16. By this, listen, by this we know love. So how do we know love? How do we experience love? How do we define love? It's about to do this in verse 16. That he laid down his life for us. How do we know love? How do we experience the love that God wants to work in, uh, in us and through us? That Jesus lay down his life for us. Now, this is super important, that Jesus laid down his life for us. Now, 
the reason why this is so important, that Jesus had to die for you and me so we could be forgiven, reconciled. But what this tells us is, one, how needy we are, and we'll get to that. But this tells us something about God's character. This tells us about something about God doesn't look at our sin like, you know what, not big of a deal. It's okay. He doesn't look at your wicked heart and my wicked heart and evil proclivity and be like, you know what, no big deal, you get a second chance. See, a lot of people that just want to focus on being good and doing good works apart from Jesus Christ, you lower the character of God. And here's what I mean. God is not okay with evilness and wickedness. He, the wrath of God is meant to extinguish it, wickedness and evilness. He's not okay with it. And so if you're going to have people of true love and righteousness, you, so you can't have the true love of God without the wrath of God. See, God, God is not okay with a smidgen of it. That's why Jesus had to die, because he's upholding his character of righteousness. See, God's not okay with wickedness, and he's so not okay with it that Jesus upheld the law, that he was merciful and loving and kind, but yet he willingly died for us. See, so many people want to divorce the wrath of God from the character of God. And if, which, if you say that, you have a God who's okay with evil, and he's not. He, 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 he allowed his son to stand his wrath to pay in full for it so we could have the very love of God. And when you understand, when you understand that, it changes your heart. So here, here's what I mean. If we're going to be other people focused, See, Jesus was ultimately other people focused. Like, he, been in, he benefited nothing by giving his life for us. But yet, we bring sin to the table, yet he willingly lay down, lays down his life for us. Now, 2 Corinthians 8, 9 talks about how much we need this. It talks about in 2 Corinthians 8, 9 this. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was sufficient in self, right? He's not needy, yet for our sake he became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich. See, Jesus ultimately entered in to pay a debt that we couldn't pay. How did he pay it? With his life. See, we understand that we're spiritually bankrupt. See, most of us don't, don't view ourselves that way. We think we're, we're pretty good people. I mean, that's what your default mode is to think you're pretty good. Everyone thinks that, but I'm telling you, you have not done one righteous thing apart from the Spirit of God. I'm not saying you haven't done any good things, but it's always been about you. It's always been self-righteous, always been about how you promote self, and it's wicked. And Jesus sees our bankruptcy, our inability to save ourselves, our helplessness. And what does he do? At infinite cost of himself, he paid our debt. Now, if you understand at, at infinite cost of his life for your life, he paid your debt, it will change your heart. It will change the way you view people. It will change the, the way you view yourself. You will actually become a humble person. See, the reason, the reason why we're so wicked is that we're prideful. We think very highly of ourselves. We can do that in so many forms. I can't get to that right now. But we're so arrogant. In the cross of Jesus Christ, there can be no arrogance because you're so needy and helpless that Jesus Christ had to die in your stead so you can be forgiven and loved and be made a new creation. See, and the reason why this is important, listen to it. And so many people want to take out Jesus just to be deed people. 
and, and you're, you're on a fool's errand. It says this, that he laid down his life for us. Why? And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So, so the idea is, at infinite cost of Jesus, he paid our debt. And so now, the, 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 as you're filled with that love and filled with the Spirit of God, how are you supposed to love other people? Man, with, at great expense of who? Yourself. To what degree? To the degree that which Jesus died for you. So that, that's pretty extreme, isn't it? The only way that you're going to love it that way. Until then, you know what you do? You're just going to tip people. You're going to feel, ba- you're gonna feel bad for them. You, you, but you won't give your life for them. It's impossible. Why? Because you think you're better than them. So it's interesting. Most of us look at people in need and we pity them. And that's a wrong, that's a wrong emotion. I heard one time when I was helping uh, in the poor, and they, again, I just showed my face. <laughs> I guess I was just I was like, she, the girl said, don't, don't pity us. And I was like, what, what do you mean? And she's like, you're not better than us. And, 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 and the grace of God, that, that shows you that. So when you see someone in need and, and, and they're helpless or impoverished, physically or spiritually, moral decay or physical decay, you don't think to yourself, man, I'm better than them. What you see, if you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're looking at yourself in a mirror. The person that was ultimately needy, but Jesus rescued you. So you start to what? Your heart fills with compassion, not self-righteousness. Mercy, not pity. Why? Because you're not better than them. But until you see yourself and other people, you will never love on them that way. I mean, when I was working in Compassion, you start to go see kids running around that don't have food, don't have, you know, education. And then you start to bring like, hey, that could be my kid. You know what happens to your heart? Compassion and mercy grows. Why? Because what's different between me and them? I wasn't born in Nicaragua. I mean, what did I do? What did I do to earn that? Your heart starts to grow as you look at people rightly under the lens of the word of God and the grace of God. So then the question goes on, until you've experienced the love of God, you'll never lay down your life for someone. You'll, you'll, you may tip, so you can go and do what, you're, what you want with your life, which I just told you is not Christianity. Man, Jesus gives you his life. He demands yours. Yes, it's all about grace, but man, when he gives you everything, you're willing to give everything. Not because you have to, because you want to. You want to show the glory of Christ through your life. Now, the question is, who, who do we love in this nature? It says in verse 17, or 16, it says your brother's so in context, it's talking about the church. So not, namely, the church is supposed to care for the church. We're church family. So when we see someone in need, man, we're going to run to that. We're going to love on them. We're going to pray for them. We're going to try to provide the best we can. Uh, biblically speaking, that's our responsibility to one another. And that's one way that we testify the glory of Christ is how we care for one another. But it's more than that as well. It's for those outside the church. Verse 17 says, if anyone has the world's goods, again, you didn't earn it. I'm not saying you didn't work hard, all right? I'm not not prying against your work ethic, right? But you have the world's good. It's, from a, it's a gift from God and sees his brother in need, yet, close, listen, yet closes his heart against him. How does God love abide in him? So what's interesting about there, it says, if you have the world's goods and you see a brother in need, yet closes what? His heart, not his hand. So it's interesting. If you have stuff that God's given you that you're stewarding, it's not yours. It says, before you ever close your hand, what do you close? It says your heart. 
It says you're not understanding how God's loved you. And if you don't understand how God's loved you, you know what? You're not going to open your hand. So the primary thing, we've got to see the love of Christ rightly and administer your heart. Therefore, man, you'll open your hand. Now, a lot of people right now are very uncomfortable. But what that means is how you treat people is how you view Christ and what he's done for you. That, that, that's just what it says. And, and, and by God's grace, we're being conformed more and more to the image of Christ. The more of God's love he works in your heart, the more that you love people. That's just direct indicators. We need to behold the glories of Christ more rightly. We need to see justification more rightly. We need to see the holiness of God more rightly. We need to see the death of Christ more rightly. That's what we need. We need to see the beauty of Christ if we're going to love people well. Now, what goes on, the next question then is like, well, who's my neighbor? Like, who, who do, Scott, if I, if I, I got to love people, who, who are you talking about? Well, you know, there's a lawyer that asked Jesus the same question in the Good Samaritan story in Luke 10. There's a lawyer that came to Jesus like, man, how do I inherit eternal life? How, do I, how am I saved is what he says. And then Jesus asked him a question and he says, the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he says, you're right. Make Jesus the center of your life. Then what, do you, then what do you say? And love your neighbor as yourself. Then he goes on to say, well, who's my neighbor? And a lot of people right now is like, well, who, who am I supposed to be loving? Who's my neighbor? And this story's so helpful. But so there's a guy on a, on, on a trip and he's beaten and plundered. Robbers took stuff from him and he's left, left for dead on the road. And then there's three people walk by. There's a priest, which is a person of, you know, supposedly the spirituality. You know, he sees a guy hurting on the road. You know what he does? He just walks right by. And I, this is Scott Brooks' interpretation, but so don't, he's like, he, you know, I just imagine like, well, you know, I'm busy. Maybe I want to, I'm about to go preach a sermon. Maybe I got a prayer service to go to. I don't have time to help someone. I'm very busy. And then, then you got a Levite coming by who just walks right by too. And you know, he, he knows the cleanliest wrongs. I mean, if I go help him, I'll be unclean. I can't actually help this person. Maybe he's thinking to himself, he's like, if he just walk in community, didn't their parents teach him? If they just walk with community, there's a better chance they wouldn't get jumped. Or maybe he's walking at night. If he just figured it out, he wouldn't be on the side of the road. Just walks on by. Then there's a good Samaritan. What does he do? He stops, he, he puts oil on them, nurtures them, puts them on his animal, takes them to a hotel, pulls out money on his behalf. So a right, he's, he's acting righteous. See, I'll, I'll tell you guys, wicked, just think about themselves, time, expense. Other ones disadvantaging himself for what? The good of this person, they didn't know. Now, Jesus then asked the, the lawyer, says which, in, in 36 and 37 of Luke 10, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. See, <laughs> we are people that have been extended grace and mercy by the kindness of God and his son, Jesus Christ. And when you get that, you know what you'll be? A person of mercy. You'll be a person that will extend the loving kindness to other people. So, I'm going to define mercy, and I'm going to leave you with a charge or a challenge. Mercy is compassion shown towards someone whom is, 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 is within your own power to help. So compassion shown towards someone whom it is in with your powers to help. That's mercy. Now, I, you, you'll hear me say quite a bit that we're not going to change the world. We're not. And know why I say that? The Bible says it. It's just not going to happen until Jesus returns and there's a new heavens and new earth, and all wickedness is eradicated, and the righteous are there. There's just not going to be a perfect world. It's just not going to happen. Yet, 
We can change our worlds by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. So we're not called to change the world, but God does hold you responsibility for how we interact in our world to bring mercy into our own worlds. When you see and have the power to execute God's loving kindness, God tells you, you better. Why? Because you've been extended that mercy. So in your neighborhood, you used to be a person of mercy. In your schools, you used to be a person of mercy. In your spheres of influence, God calls you to be a merciful person and bring God's loving kindness into that community. Now, I'm going to ask you right now, who's your neighbor? Who is God asking you to love because you've been so loved by God in Jesus Christ? There should be names and people that are disadvantaged that God's saying, but you can help. Not because you have to, because you want to, because you've understood the mercy God's extended to you. See, it's a self-righteous thing to think someone else will help them. It's a self-righteous thing. That's not my problem. Thank God Jesus didn't look down at us and say, that's not my problem. No, he entered in, he pursued, and he died, and he gave everything so we could have life. And then what's the call? We ought to do the same. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'd help us be people of mercy and grace. But God, first and foremost, you know we have to be people that have experienced and know the love of Jesus in a particular way. God, I pray that we'd see that you're not okay with our evil hearts, our wicked hearts that make everything about us. God, I pray that you'd eradicate that by the Spirit of God and the love of Jesus Christ. Help us see how you still loved us, that it would... Your love would free us of our self-love to be other people-focused. God, we need to drink deeply again and again of the glories of Jesus Christ and humble of our neediness, but the provision of Jesus. God, I pray that you'd share your mind as in Scripture by your Spirit, that we consider other people more important than ourselves, that we would willingly give. Why? Because you gave all. I pray that we not put a limit on our generosity because you do not. At infinite cost of yourself, you paid our debt. Help us live like that, love like that. Pray the Spirit of God would just set a fire in our heart that wouldn't be put out, that we'd be known for a church that loves the Word, but lives out the loving kindness of God's mercy indeed. I say that in Jesus' name. Amen.